Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Acts chapter 1, picking up in verse 1 through 9. The former account I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. I want to throw in a quick side note for free. Christianity is the only religion where its founder is just getting started. Come on. The account of what Jesus began both to do and to teach. He's not finished yet. Amen. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to his apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, we at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Come on, let's pray together. Lord, we come before you right now. Lord Jesus, come and speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, breathe upon your word. God, we've come to encounter you. We haven't come to play church. We haven't come to just hear a cute word. Lord, we've come to encounter you. We've come to be changed. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us tonight. God, I pray that these would be your words and not mine. Have your way, Lord, in this place tonight. We give this service to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated tonight. Just in case you haven't realized this, You guys are in the midst of revival here in Alaska. I'm going to say that one more time. Just in case you haven't realized, in case you haven't noticed, you're in the middle of revival here in Alaska. God is doing something here. Amen? God is moving. The Holy Spirit is is moving in this valley. He's moving in this church. And it's incredible to to be here and to see what God's doing. But I I want to throw a, a thought out to you tonight. Because I have heard so many people tell me that they're believing God for revival. But then when you ask them to define it, they don't know what to say. I remember I was talking to a, to a leader of mine, and, and I was saying, hey, man, what, what do you believe in God for? What do you want to see happen? He said, oh, I just want revival. But he couldn't really define what that meant. And it happens so, so often, so many different people. There's so many different definitions of revival. For some people, what revival means is uh, or people are, are rolling around on the floor laughing, which is wonderful. Praise God for that. For some people, what, what revival means is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of money coming into the church. Some people, what, what revival means is, is that there, there's a lot of excitement. In fact, that would probably be the common denominator. I think for most people, what revival means is that there's a lot of passion, which passion's wonderful. 
Praise God. Passion is, is we need passion in our church. Amen. And, th- and this church has no shortage of passion, and I thank God for that. But there's something that you guys have tapped into here that really defines what revival is. And it's something that we see in Scripture, especially in the book of Acts. Revival, I want to submit this to you tonight, is defined by people coming to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is when the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon the apostles, right? Upon the disciples waiting in the upper room. You had 120 people gathered together, praying, obeying the words of Jesus that we had just read. We had just read where Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. 120 people out of 500 made it. They survived the the 50-day prayer meeting, right? This time of waiting and seeking God. And the Holy Spirit fell upon 120 people. And what was the direct result of the move of God, of the move of the Holy Spirit? We see it in Acts 2, verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. Again, in Acts chapter 4, this is after Peter and John had healed the lame man at the temple gate. You guys remember that story? We're here, there's, there's a man begging for alms at the, at the temple gate, beautiful. And Peter says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he reaches out his hand and he lifts him up and he begins walking and leaping and praising God. And what happens after that, the Bible tells us that thousands of people get saved in that one day. In fact, the Bible tells us that the number of the men saved came to be about 5,000. Now, interestingly enough, in the biblical times, true to that culture in that day and age, they only counted men. That means if you had 5,000 men, you had at least, at least 5,000 women, at least 5,000 children. If they're anything like Americans, 2.5 children per household. Right, you're, you're looking at at least 20, 25,000 people added to the church in one moment. That's revival. In fact, the, the, the church began to grow at such a rate that when you get to Acts chapter 5, they stop counting because there's so many people. It says, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 3,000 people here, 5,000 people there, not to mention the the one-on-one conversions and the measly hundreds of people coming to the Lord here and there. 3,000, 5,000 multitudes, too many to count. Revival is defined by people coming to Jesus. But there is a a, a mechanism that we see here in the book of Acts that the Lord uses in order to produce revival, in order to produce boldness within his people. And it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that Jesus specifically told his apostles that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into the ends of the earth. And this this power of the Holy Spirit was so important to Jesus that he told his disciples, he says, "I, I don't want you to even attempt to preach the gospel until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I mean it almost it almost seems it's almost seems a little anticlimactic. 
Because here Jesus is giving his disciples this big hoorah speech. Right, and, and, and we pick up from other, other passages of scripture in the, in the gospels. You know, Jesus says, all authority is given unto me. Right, go therefore into all, all, all the nations, go into all the world, preach the gospel, all creation. Right, he's pumping them up. He's saying, guys, you can do this. Come on, one, two, three, Jesus, or whatever they did. I don't know. <laughs> Made up a cheer. <laughs> one, two, three, do it. You know, whatever. And, and the buddy says, but wait. Can you imagine? You're getting all revved up, right? We're going to go. We're going to do this. We're going to get people saved. And Jesus says, okay, I want you to wait. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. It's almost like, I don't know if you ever did this before, but you're, you're having like a race, and the person, you know, uh, starting the race is wants to mess with everybody. Minister David, I'm sure, does this all the time with Slaughterball. They're like, all right, one, two, three, stop. You ever, you ever do that? Or one, two, three, wait. That's what Jesus did. He's like, all right, guys, you're going to do this. One, two, three, let's go. Okay, wait. What? He says, I want you to wait until we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the power that you need in order to do what God has called you to do does not come from yourself. The power that you need in order to be the man or woman that God has called you to be, the boldness that you need in order to preach the gospel, in order to tell people about Jesus, does not come from yourself. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Coming upon you, residing in you. And as we see in Acts chapter 1 and then, then fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But I want to I clear up some confusion tonight because oftentimes we, we can start, begin to ask ourselves, this question, or I think more, more appropriately, it's not even questions we ask ourselves, but we make assumptions. How many of you know that assumptions can really get you into trouble? That's one thing that I, I realized when I got married. Assumptions will mess you up, right? Anything that you assume going into a relationship, if it's not communicated, oh, Lord Jesus, Pastor Gill knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you assume something, Going into a relationship, even a relationship with God, you assume something going into a relationship with the Lord, you might get yourself into trouble. Well, there's assumptions that we make about the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, I think even as, as Pentecostals, we, we make certain assumptions. Right? It, here's, here's some assumptions that we make. I think we make the assumption that the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all that the Holy Spirit does. I want to say that one more time. A lot of times we, we limit the work of the Holy Spirit to only spirit baptism. Now, why is that important? Because we, we get into debates across the aisle with people from different denominations. And it, and it, and it goes something like this. Is, is the Holy Spirit at work in the believer at salvation? Or is he at work in the believer when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit? And we fight with one another about it. You know what the answer is? Both. The Holy Spirit is initially at work in salvation. In fact, you can't even get saved without the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is within you, drawing you to the Father, right? Drawing you to Jesus, producing faith within you. You can't even get saved. You can't even come to God without the Holy Spirit at work in your life. In fact, Paul speaks of salvation in very, in very interesting terminology. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. 
For by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we were baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink of one spirit. What's Paul talking about? Is he talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit as we understand in the book of Luke? No. He's talking about salvation. He's saying that you're, you're the, that the Holy Spirit has baptized you. He's initiated you into the body of Christ. He's saying that the Holy Spirit has, has, has baptized you. He's, he's covered you. He's clothed you. He's immersed you in Jesus. Remember on Monday night we talked about how we become partakers in the very nature of God. Right? How God, he, he clothes us with himself. He, he surrounds us with himself. He, he wraps us in himself. And when we get saved, we become, we become initiated and we, be, we become baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. But there's something else and something distinct that happens in the book of Acts. Not only does the Holy Spirit baptize us into Christ when we get saved, but Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit in a subsequent, subsequent work of grace called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want to emphasize what, what Jesus said to the apostles. He said, you've, he says, for as you've heard from me, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days hence. In other words, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. But there's something else that needs to happen. Because not only do you need to get saved, not only do you need to have your sins forgiven, which let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit is active and at work within that. But you also need the power of the Holy Spirit. You also need, need the power of God at work in your life for the express purpose of being used by God. For the express purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the express purpose of, of receiving boldness to proclaim what Jesus has done. And we can see that in the, in the lives of the apostles. Because before Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, you look at what he did. Right here, he, he denies Christ in a campfire, basically to a, a little servant girl. Now, I don't know about you, but little servant girls aren't that intimidating. Right? He's, he's sitting there. They're, they're talking. And someone's like, you, you, you know Jesus, right? You belong to Jesus. And, he, and Peter, he denies Christ. He says, no, I don't. Happens three times. The last time is with this, with this servant girl. Saying, no, I, I saw you with him. I know you know Jesus. And he, he denies Christ. Why? Because he's afraid. But then on the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon him. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then what does he do? He stands up. And it's incredible. And he says to multitudes of people, he essentially points his finger at him and says, you killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God, but God raised him up on the third day. And now he's, he's Lord and King of all. And, and people are pricked to the heart, and they say, what must I do to be saved? And that's the moment where 3,000 people come to know Jesus. But what, what we see here in, in, in the book of Acts, not just in Acts, but also through the writings of Luke, is that Luke is, is building this, this theology. He's building this expectation of what the Holy Spirit has come to do. That the Holy Spirit has come to empower us. He's come to, to quicken us. He's come to enable us to do what we can't do on our own. And it's a very, it's a very functionally based dimension of what the Holy Spirit comes to, comes to do. Now, I want to I talk to you guys about this a little bit. 
The Holy Spirit's a person, right? He, he is the, the third member of the Godhead, not in importance or anything like that, but just in our way of numbering the Godhead. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. Right? He, he, has, he has a personality. He has a will. He has, he has desires. Just like any other person, the Holy Spirit is multifaceted. Right? There's, there's different things that the Holy Spirit does. There's different, different ways that he works within our life. And I think what can happen too many times is we limit him to only one thing. How many of you guys like being limited and put into a box? Do you guys love that? Especially, especially our youth here for the, for the youth conference. Don't you love it when people put you in a box and say, this is all you do, you're the basketball guy? That's all you do. Like you have all these other things you're good at. Like you're good at technology, you're brilliant, you're, you're a 4.0 student, but now you're the basketball guy. That's all you do. That's the, all, that's the only thing that will allow you to be identified by, is by that. You know, or, or you're, you're, the, you're the techie person. Or you're, you're the... I don't know. It's been a while since I was in high school. I forget the labels. Throw, you know, just throw, throw a label at me. I don't know. God's freed me. Praise the Lord. Jo- you're, you're a jock. That's, that's, all you, that's all you are. Well, a lot of times we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. But there's so many dimensions of what he does. Right? And, and in, the, in Scripture, we see that Paul is emphasizing the, the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation, the body of Christ, these dimensions of what he does. And then Luke comes along and he emphasizes the dynamic of power and the dynamic of boldness for evangelism and the dynamic of the prophetic and the dynamic of miracles. And that's, that's pretty much what Luke just dives in, dives in on and focuses on. In fact, the book of Luke starts off and opens up With what? The prophetic activity of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because here Jesus appears in the Jesus appears in the temple, right? Brought by brought by his his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And what happens? Simeon and Anna prophesy over him. Even even before Jesus is born, you see prophecy begin to to break open. You see Zechariah prophesying over John the Baptist. Right, you see, you see these words of, of the, this prophetic unction begin to take place. Which, you know why that's significant? Because for 400 years prior to that, the Jews believed that the Holy Spirit was no longer at work on the earth. That's why it's called the 400 silent years. They believed that the Holy Spirit was no longer active. They believed that he was no longer speaking to people. So much so that if someone said they were a prophet, they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe them. They'd shun them. But then what happens when Jesus arrives on the scene? Prophetic, just like that. All of a sudden, why? Because the Holy Spirit is the prophetic spirit. That's, that's how the Jews saw the Holy Spirit to be. He was, a, he, was, he was the prophetic spirit of God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, Luke says, look, the Messiah is here. Why? Because prophecy is beginning to take place again, just like it did in the Old Testament. Just like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's at work again. There's prophetic at work again upon the earth. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit empowers and and endues Jesus, God the Son, with power to do what? To do signs, to, to see signs and wonders take place. Right, to, to, to preach the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. His, his identity of who he was and what he came to do on the earth. And then what happened? Jesus ascends into heaven. 
And then what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes and he comes and he fills the apostles. Not just the apostles. He comes and he fills the church. And even, even what the, how this verse opens up, where he says the formal, former account I made of what Jesus began to do and to preach. Let me tell you what, guys. Jesus, he's not done. And too many times I think we have this idea. I want to encourage you. This is where it gets good. Because too many times we read the Bible and we think that God's done. We think that what God did in the Bible, that's just a nice story. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm guilty of this. I'll read the Bible like a comic book, Pastor Daniel. This is what I mean by that. You're like, this dude's so unspiritual. Let me just, let me explain myself before you start judging me. Okay? Jeez. Leave me alone. <laughs> but this is what we do. It is, does anyone ever read, just pick something out, Marvel, right? And you see what Captain America's doing. Captain America is like throwing his shield. This is a youth conference, guys, right? Forgive me. I know I'm getting really theological here. Captain America starts throwing his shield and knocking out bad guys. Does anyone ever read that and say, I want to do that when I grow up? Unless you're five, okay? Five-year-olds excluded, all right? This isn't, this isn't children's ministry. Anyone in their right mind doesn't read that and be like, that's what I'm going to do. Or Pastor Karen, do you, do you do that all the time, right? You'll, you'll read it, you'll be like, wow, you know, Thor throws his hammer and he like knocks out whatever those guys are called. Those are going to say ogres, but that's Lord of the Rings, I know, whatever, right? And, and we'll, we'll read what, what these guys are doing in comic books or in TV shows, and the thought that we would ever do that is, no, is nowhere in our, in our mind, at least not in our right mind. Right? Maybe if you're like daydreaming and you're like really bored and, and your life is like really pointless and meaningless, maybe you'll start like daydreaming about, I'm going to be a superhero one day. Right? But for us normal people, we don't think that way. That's something that happens. If you do think that way, we're going to have an altar call right now. We're going to call you to come up to the stage. We're going to pray for you to see that broken off your life. Right? That's, that's yeah, buying that superhero fantasy spirit off of your mind in the name of Jesus, right? But a lot of times when, when I read the Bible, I'll be like, Moses parted the Red Sea. The thought that I would ever do that, nowhere to be found, because that's Moses. He's a superhero. You know, the fact that David would be anointed by God to change his generation, to change his nation, that's not me, that's, that's, that's David, right? The fact that even you go into the New Testament, that God would use Peter to lay hands on somebody and see him get up and start walking and leaping and, and praising God. We read that and we're like, oh, that's, that's Peter. He's a superhero. That's not, that's not me. But what we don't realize is that the same Holy Spirit, there was a work in the Old Testament that was at work in Jesus, that was at work in the apostles, is at work in you and me. Amen? And he wants to use you to change the world. He wants to use you to pray for people and to see people healed. He wants to see you and see people delivered and set free. He wants to use you. He wants to open up your mouth, and he wants to give you boldness. And that's the point that Luke is trying to make in his gospel and in the book of Acts, saying, hey, look, the same Holy Spirit that was at work in Elijah, was at work in Jesus. 
And now he's at work in the apostles. And he's at work in the church. And he's at work in you and me. And in the same way that Jesus just began to do and to preach. Why did he just begin? Because his ministry is being continued through us. His ministry is being continued through you and me because every time that we're used by God and we get boldness from the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, Jesus is at work. Every time that through the power of the Holy Spirit we lay hands on somebody, we see somebody healed, Jesus is at work. Amen, Jesus is glorified. Every time that we move in the power of God, we move through the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus goes forth. And his work is completed in our life. And I want to encourage you. What, what you see happening in the Bible, God wants to see happen through you here in Alaska, here in your valley, here in your city, wherever you're from. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. Just like he used the men and women of the Bible. There's, no, there's nothing different. In fact, if there is anything different, it's to your advantage. You realize that Jesus didn't live on the inside of Moses? Think about it. Jesus didn't live on the inside of David. He lives on the inside of you. So if there is any difference, we've got, we've got the advantage. So what, are, so what are we doing? I think a lot of times it comes down to an issue of faith and an issue of expectation. Because we don't expect that God's going to use us. And we have this expectation that signs and wonders and miracles and the prophetic is only for a select group of people. It's only for a select few. It's only, it's only for the pastors, right? It's only for the special people. That's not, that's not Bible, right? You see in the book of Acts, so the Holy Spirit uses Philip. Who was Philip? He's an usher, Became an evangelist. Philip was an usher. Stephen, the first martyr who was moving in signs and wonders. Who was he? They weren't apostles. You know, there's, there's this idea that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders died out at the death of the last apostle. Can you imagine a prayer meeting? where people were seeing people healed, they were having revival, and then all of a sudden the person preaching gets a text message, John just died. You, should, you need to stop. <laughs> Surprise, the Holy Spirit's gone. <laughs> Signs and wonders are gone because the, the last apostle died. I know, they didn't, they didn't have cell phones back then. He got a page, right? He got, he got a, his, his pager went off, right? <laughs> his pager went off, all right? Told him, hey, <laughs> call this number, <laughs> He, call, he calls him and says, John's dead. Stop. Signs and wonders are done. No, because signs and wonders weren't an action of the apostles. They were an action of the Holy Spirit. But here's something that's important. What was the purpose of signs and wonders in the book of Acts? Was it to make the apostles look good? Was it so they, so they could be the super spiritual people, so they could, they could put everybody else to shame? No, not at all. The purpose of signs and wonders in the book of Acts and in, in Luke and all throughout the Bible is for the proclamation of the gospel. The Bible says that sign, these signs will follow those who believe. Right? As believers, we're not supposed to go following signs and wonders. We're not, we're not supposed to be people that, oh, there's signs and wonders here, I'm going to go here. Right? There's, and too many, we're talking about revival and seeking after revival. Too many times that's what happens. Like, oh, there's, there's manifestations. People are, you know, <laughs> this, 
we're like this sometimes as Pentecostals, right? We're like, oh, there's manifestations. There's like, it's super exciting over here. I'm going to go here because it's exciting. That's not how it's supposed to work. We're, we're supposed to see signs and wonders follow us as we preach the gospel. One thing you'll notice in the, in the theology that Luke develops is that he is intentional to always pair the word of God and the proclamation of the gospel with signs and wonders. Even, even if, if here's, just, here's an example, like if, if Mark and Luke will talk about the same miracle, and Mark might happen to leave out the fact that they came to hear Jesus teach, Luke makes sure to emphasize that Jesus was teaching. Jesus was preaching. Why? Because he doesn't want you to get the idea that signs and wonders exist alone. When you, when you study the writings of Luke, you'll see that whenever he presents the power of God and the, and the miraculous, it is always paired with teaching, and not just any teaching, but the teaching of the gospel. Why? Because just like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit does not exist and does not move upon our lives to exalt himself. Even though he could, he's God. But he exists and he moves and he, his purpose is to exalt Jesus Christ. Right? So whenever the Holy Spirit moves, it's always for the purpose of exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. How do you know if the Spirit at work is the Holy Spirit? Does he exalt Jesus? Does he lift the name of Jesus high? Amen? In fact, there's people that have this idea, and it's becoming somewhat popular in certain circles, that you don't need to preach the gospel as long as you pray for people. Right? That you don't, you don't need to, and I'm not saying you have to go into a sermon, but, but if you pray for somebody to see them healed and they get healed, you better tell them it was Jesus. All right? You better, you better follow up with the message of the gospel. Because otherwise, you're just left with, wow, that was a really crazy experience. <laughs> but the reason that God would use you and that God would pour out his spirit is for the purpose of exalting the name of Jesus and for the purpose of that person, of that individual getting saved and coming to know the Lord. Amen? That's revival. Yes, it's about seeing the power of God on display, but it's so that people can come to Jesus. That's why you guys are building a bigger building. Because there's people in this valley that need to get saved. Look around, this, this room is packed. You're not gonna fit very many more people in here. But there's thousands of people in this valley that need to know Jesus. That's why you have it in your heart. That's why your pastor has it in his heart. We need to build this building. Why? Because you need room for the thousands of people that God's gonna bring in. And when, when God moves, when revival takes place, what always happens? People get saved. Why? Because that's the reason he's doing it. The reason God's pouring out his spirit isn't just so that we can have nice church services. It's not just so that we can, we can get excited. Even though getting excited is great, and I love being excited. And I'd much rather be at an exciting church service than a boring church service. Amen. Does, any, does anybody ever, like, look for church services because they're boring? Or look for anything. Maybe people actually think do look for church services because they're boring. I'm pretty convinced about that. But anything else. Like, <laughs> let's say you're watching a movie with your friends. And you're like, dude, that movie was so boring. You should come. You should check it out. <laughs> You'd be like, bump that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch an exciting movie, right? Well, obviously, the, the, it carries over into church. And there, there is an excitement that I think is important and is wonderful. And part of revival is excitement. Part of revival is passion. Hallelujah. But it's for a purpose. 
It's not just excitement for excitement's sake. It's not just miracles for miracles' sake. It's not just manifestations of God's power for the sake of manifestations of God's power. It is for the sake of people getting saved. It's for the sake of coming to Jesus. And the, the primary work of the Holy Spirit, at least what Luke emphasizes, is it's, it's bold, inspired speech. And signs and wonders back up and give credence to that bold, inspired speech. And you see that speech taking place in, in three ways. Number one, you see the gospel being proclaimed. Amen? And boldness coming upon people to preach the gospel. Again, you look at Peter. You look at Stephen standing in the place of, of, of trial. Pete, Stephen was on trial for preaching the gospel. And yet the Holy Spirit fills him, and he begins to preach with such boldness that his accusers, they don't know what to say. They, they, they have no recourse. Why? Because the Holy Spirit filled him with inspired speech, and he preached, and he proclaimed the gospel. The next thing we see is we see the prophetic. We see the prophetic at work. And depending on, on what background you're from, I know sometimes we might think, oh, the prophetic's weird, but let me ask you this. Has God ever spoken to you? Like, has God ever spoken in your heart? And we had a moment, and God dropped a, a thought in your mind or gave an impression in your heart, and you knew it was God? And you followed it and it, and, it, and it affected your life and for the better? Why wouldn't God want to do the same thing for you to be able to speak into somebody else's life? Why wouldn't God want to give you an unction, give you a word to be able to speak to somebody else and to see somebody else's life edified and blessed? Why? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always other people focused. How do you know when you're getting touched and changed by the Holy Spirit? Because you're focused and fixed upon other people. The, the last dimension of inspired speech that we see in the book of Acts is this thing called speaking in tongues. You guys know about speaking in tongues in this church? <laughs> I'm messing. Of course you do. Right? What, what is speaking in tongues? Well, it's, it's actually can be considered a type of the prophetic, but it's different in one very crucial way. You don't understand what you're saying. Right? Did you notice that? <laughs> right? When, when you speak in the Holy Ghost, it's, it's this unction. The Holy Spirit is leading you to speak certain words, but you don't know what they are. And there, there are several reasons for that. I think one of them is what Paul talks about in Romans when we don't know what to pray for. And so the Holy Spirit, he speaks and prays the perfect prayer through us, right? And he helps us in our weakness. He helps us to pray. But it also functions as a sign of the Spirit's power. And as a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's something that you can't really do on your own. You could, you could preach an inspiring sermon kind of on your own. Right? You could give somebody a word and it might be real, it might not be. You're not going to know for a while. Right? You're going to say, God's going to give you a million dollars in five years. That's great. You're not going to know if that was true or not for five more years. You know? <laughs> Everybody has that word for me, just, you know, bring, bring it. But with tongues, it has to come from a source other than you. There's, it's, it's uniquely suited in, in its, its demonstrative expression, meaning that it's big, it's bold, it's audacious. But it's also something that, that has to be prophetic because you can't come up with it on your own. And so because of that, it's, it's uniquely suited to be this, to be this almost like the stamp of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And we see this pattern in the book of Acts. I don't have time to really get into it. But you'll see as you, as you, as you study the book of Acts, there's several instances where every time you see the Holy Spirit being poured out, you'll see either the speaking in tongues expressly stated or you'll see it inferred. You'll, you'll see that it's, it might not be mentioned, but here's a good example, and this is actually a good case in point. When Philip brings the gospel to Samaria and he gets thousands of people saved, right? What does he do? He gets Peter and John to come and lay hands on them so they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for people that would question whether or not salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are the same thing or not, this is a, this is a, good, this is a good case study because they're already saved. They're already baptized. And he brings Peter and John to lay hands on them so they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's something so unique that there's this person there, Simon Magus, that wants to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he saw something different. And he saw something new. Right? He had already seen healing. He had already seen the prophetic. He had already seen these signs and wonders take place. But something happened. Something real and authentic happened when people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just this nice touch on the head. Okay, you got it, you got it, you got it. No, something happened. Something took place. Something profound awakened inside of people, and they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. And you see, you see this all throughout the book of Acts. People speaking in tongues. But I, I want to I encourage you with something. I'm going to close on this. Don't make your experience of the power of God and of the baptism of the Holy Spirit a one-time thing. And don't make it all about you. Because this is what happens too often at church is we treat the baptism of the Holy Spirit like a check mark on our, on our Pentecostal scorecard. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, okay, I got saved, check. Baptized in water, check. Speaking, infilling of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, check. And we put it in our back pocket and we just walk around like we're better than everybody else. Right? That's not what God wants. Because God didn't fill you with the Spirit just so that you could have a check on your, on your spirituality card. He filled you with the Holy Spirit so that you could be used by God to see the gospel preached, to see signs, wonders, and miracles happen so that people would give their life to Jesus, so that the church would be filled with people, not because we have this desire, that, oh, we gotta be big, but because we have this desire that people are going to hell and they need Jesus. And the only way that they're gonna get saved, the only way that something is gonna change in their life is if they hear the gospel. And the only way that we're going to be empowered to preach the gospel is through the Holy Spirit coming upon us and giving us boldness. You might, you might be here tonight and telling somebody about Jesus scares the tar out of you. Right? Preaching the gospel freaks you out. I mean, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of scary if you think about it. You know, walking up to somebody you don't know and talking about like really deep eternal things. Like, yeah, that's a little scary. Right? Even your coworker and you're, you're intimidated to share your faith. Right? Or, or there's someone in your family that, that you know God wants to heal, but there's, there's a timidity that you got going on. Or maybe you're a young person here in this place, and you know that God wants to use you to see people at your school come to Jesus, but you're being held back out of fear. You know what the answer is? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
You know what the answer is? It's for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to give you boldness and to give you power and to give you authority. In fact, you might even be struggling with things in your life. Be like, man, I just don't have power over this thing. I can't get past this. You know what the answer is? It's the Holy Spirit and his power being at work in your life. The other thing that I want to emphasize is the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. It's not something you just get and then you're done. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Acts chapter 4. And if I could have the worship team come, come up to the stage. Acts chapter 4. Where Peter and John, they just... Get, they just get through having revival, right? They just get through preaching and seeing miracles happen. They see 5,000 men added to the church, 20,000 people roughly. That's a good Sunday added to the church. But it infuriates the religious leaders. It, it infuriates the Pharisees and the Sadducees and people that want to have religious control of the region and of the people. And they forbid them. They say, do not preach the gospel. Do not preach the message of Jesus. We've got, we've got people in our own, our own government trying to tell us similar things. Right? Trying to tell us, you can't say this, you can't say that. Keep, keep, the, keep the gospel to yourself. I, lo- I love what Jonathan Shuttlesworth said. When people say, why can't Christians keep Jesus to themselves? It's because it's against our religion. Right? Keeping our religion to ourselves is against our religion as Christians. Why? Because we're commanded to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. Amen. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the only way you're going to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. The only way you're going to do it is through boldness coming upon you. And the Holy Spirit filling you with His power. Baptizing you with His power so that you can be a witness for Jesus Christ in the world. But here Peter and John, they face this opposition. And they come back. They come back to their church. They come back to the people gathered together and they tell them what happened. And instead of complaining, you know, they could have done so many things in that moment. They could have gotten angry at what the religious leaders said. They could have gotten intimidated. They could have backed down. But you know what they did? They cried out to God. And they said, Lord, give us boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal in the mighty name of Jesus. That was exactly what got them into trouble in the first place. They said, Holy Spirit, come upon us. And you know what happened in that moment? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them and that the place was shaken. Realize these people had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. But they needed a fresh infilling. They needed a fresh release of power by the Holy Spirit. If they were going to meet the need that was presented to them, if they were going to meet the moment that they were in, they needed a fresh impartation of the Spirit's power. Amen. I want you to lift your hands this place. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord, your word says that it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by your spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Lord, we're asking for a fresh impartation of your spirit, a fresh baptism of your spirit. 
in the name of Jesus, God, that you would give us boldness to meet the need. God, that you would give us power for the season that we're in. God, that you would give us an anointing for the hour that we find ourselves in. Here in America, here in Alaska, wherever we might be, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and empower us. And do us with power. And do us with authority. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.